This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. All right, welcome to episode 165 of the Bobbycast. This is an exciting one for me because it's Brad Arnold from Three Doors Down. Glad to have you, man. Thank you for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. Like I'm such a fan of Three Doors Down because I don't know how old of a guy are you? Uh, I am 40. I okay, 40 we're about the same age. I'm about to turn 39. Yeah. God, you were so po- you were we're the same age basically, right? You were so big, and I was like an idiot on the radio in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and you were like all over the world. I feel so <laughs> so small now. Man, I, I we did start young. I started touring when I was 20. I just turned 21, and it was, you know, they say like. Uh, youth is wasted on the young, so it's touring. Yeah, because I think I would have enjoyed it so much more now, in the mindset that I'm in in my life and just the place that I am, than I did then. Because you know, you get out there and you're young and you start touring, and it's that's a lot to handle. Hand a 21 year old, you know, and it's basically you know just here's the back. I used to tell people it's like having a backstage pass to to life, and you get out there and. And I was an idiot, and I didn't, you know, I didn't do a lot of things, but I was just, I guess my main thing that I got out, I just got out and drank so much and things like that, and and uh, I, I've been without alcohol, I've been alcohol-free for a little over three years, and so I wish, man, I could just take that and apply it to my whole career. I would have enjoyed it so much more. I, I think I saw you guys probably five times, you know, <laughs> all through my years, Um and so for me, I, I think the last time I saw you guys was you guys in Fuel. Mm-hmm. You guys were playing together. Mm-hmm. But I bet a lot of those bands, did you guys kind of cross paths and tour randomly with a lot of those guys kind of in that same class of when when pop was rock? Mm-hmm. So how did those tours often come together? And did you, did you switch places sometimes? Like who had the bigger song would kind of lead the tour? Well, we, um, by the grace of God, our first record, like, done really good. And we started touring together with Nickelback. Was used to be... Uh, their second record kind of took off for them. And so that was the first tour that we would kind of, they opened for us for, man, a couple, first couple of years that both of us were out. And, uh, and then their second record took off and we'd done a tour together to where we kind of flip flop back and forth 
playing, and then we had we went our separate ways. So, like, not good blood. Not good blood. So, what's the deal with Nickelback? Why does everybody hate on Nickelback? I don't know. Man. Why do you think people hate on Nickelback? <sighs> and I wouldn't have went there, but you, you know. I didn't know you guys tore with Nickelback. A lot. Uh, there's been a lot of times where I mean, we both started on two old ratty Eagles, you know, like the 1980s Eagle buses. And one of them was uh, always broke. So there was a lot of times where there was, a, I mean, you know, in those days it was all band and crew on one bus. On that tour, there was both bands and both crews oh, on one some. bus for a lot of times because one of the buses was always tore, down, uh, tore up and, and it would break down and we just had to get to the next gig. So everybody just get on one. Which, if a bus only holds 12, well, now a bus will hold 12 mm-hmm. legitimately. Like, my bus will hold 12 mm-hmm. legitimately. So, that means there's enough bunks, and legally you can have 12. It sounds like there's more than 12 people on that bus, There's a lot of people <laughs> on that bus. Somebody would always give me a bunk, and, uh, and so, so the two singers could sleep or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, we just kind of, we... Our old drummer is now their drummer. Daniel used to be our drummer for quite a while, and, uh, and, and he's a great drummer, you know. And um, they would just... I don't really know, honestly, how it got to be bad blood, but I think kind of it was a thing in the award show, and I don't even remember what award show it was, and it wasn't even between the two bands. It was between some crew guys or something, but I don't know why people... I don't know why people hate on them so much, but... Well, if you don't like them, I now hate Nickelback too, Mike. Let them know. <laughs> right. Let them know. I'm tired of defending them. I don't like them anymore. Brad don't like them. <laughs> I'll tweet I, don't, I don't dislike You know, honestly, I hadn't talked to them in a really long time. Here's a story one of my friends told me because they went to Canada and they're a country band and they said they were playing with Nickelback. And I guess those guys are really rich. Or I guess Chad Kroger is really rich. And apparently they went on a yacht. This is all hearsay, right? They went on a yacht and they were throwing pillows into the air and shooting them with guns. And that he was just wild and they just had guns and big still like partying on boats and off the coast. And I was like, man, Nickelback's still going hard right now. I guess so, man. I've heard some stories about Chad doing some pretty outlandish things, but it was mainly like throwing money around and and stuff like that. And for me personally, I mean, I come from a good family of seven kids, but my mom and dad taught me to the value of money and I still remember the value of money, and I just think about it. You know, I guess probably, I was probably like 19 or 20, and you guys, and my mind really blew up, and that rock sound became the pop sound because I was working on pop radio, and every song you guys would put out would just be massive. And when you're in the mix, and I can feel this a bit with me now, meaning I'll work so hard I really don't see the cool things that are happening around me at the level I should really appreciate and see them. I wonder, because you were so successful just one after the other, what felt like, like, did you really feel it and experience it? Or were you just running so hard? I think you're just running so hard that you, you, you feel it. And I think I feel it more now looking back, you know, and, and Jen and I will talk about it sometimes. And, and, and I mean, we really were like truly, truly blessed and we still are, man. We still go and we still play a lot. We don't tour when we, you know, when we, those first several years, we played 300 shows a year. Wow. Sometimes. You're on the road that much. We were, man. We would, we would go, we, we developed kind of the three-week rule to where, you know, if we don't want to be gone more than three weeks, and we'll come home for a week and go again sometimes. But I remember, like, going for three or four months and not even coming home, you know. Um, but we always – we've always been a radio band, and radio has always been our lifeblood, and they've always been very, very good to us. Did you want to be a radio band at first, or were you just a rock band that the times happened to fit the sound? I think that it, it just kind of happened because, you know – we never toured before we got signed. We were from South Mississippi, and uh, 
and we're from uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, or Moss Point, Mississippi, but basically Biloxi, which is like halfway in between New Orleans and Mobile. And um, we couldn't get a gig in New Orleans. We couldn't get gigs in Mobile. Nobody, I mean, we just had to play like right there. It worked at what worked to our benefit was the fact that there just wasn't a whole lot to do in the area. So we always had a ton of friends at the shows and stuff like that. And um, so we went and made a local, uh, a little CD at a local studio and had Kryptonite on it along with uh, what would become like half of the first record. And um, so we begged our local radio station to play it. And, you know, they can't just do that. Right. But they had a local radio show that they would do once a month. And um, so they played us on there a lot. And, and finally, we begged the program director long enough uh, that he was like, okay, I'll add grip tonight. And he tried it, and it became the most requested song they'd ever had. And now some of those people might have been our friends or family for a little while. <laughs> but uh, after a while, it became like a, 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 a hit on that station. And they were a, a reporting station. And so, you know, the report was going out that this number one song, and but there was no record company beside it. So there came the record companies. And... Uh, and we weren't even trying to get signed. We, it, they just came and it just happened. So where all you guys, where'd you come? How'd you come together? Uh, we were all from the same little town, Escatawba, Mississippi. And um, Matt and I, which our, our original guitar player, he's he passed away. Uh, we had he's my cousin, and we just always played together and started playing in his garage before I even had a drum set. And it, one of his buddies left a, a drum set over there for me to play. And and uh, Todd, our original bass player. Um, he asked me and uh, Matt to come over to his house one day and play, and we just started the band. And I was the drummer. I I did I had never sang in front of anybody ever, and I just I was like, well, I'll try it. And I was so shy that uh, Todd lived in a trailer, and I would sit in the in the in the front living room of his trailer, and I would a couple of his girlfriend and one of her friends would always be over there. They were always at Todd's house. I was so shy, I'd sit my face in the corner and sing. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. How hard was it to drum and sing? Not so, not so bad. Really? I always wonder how people play guitar and sing, because, I, I mean, I just can't get my fingers to do that. But for the drums, I, I've, I played, and I'm not a great drummer or anything, but I played all my life. And so it was never, I never really thought about it too much. So you never sang, and you hop up and you start singing, although you're shy. Like, could you feel you were pretty good at it? I I felt like I was. Um, I think probably the breakthrough for me was when when they told me, like Todd's girlfriend was like, "You sound really good," you know. I was like, "Okay," you know. <laughs> I went with it from there, and I, that that definitely helped me come out of my shell. But I, I remember when we recorded that first record, I like I took it home and I played it for my parents, and my dad said, "Who's that singing?" I was like, "That's me." He's like, "No, it ain't." I said, "Yes, it is." That's funny, and it's such a funny story that your local radio station playing the song is what ended up getting you guys a deal because. Just to kind of break it down for our listeners, if stations are big enough, their playlists get reported to basically a database. And they take the database and they go, okay, this this song had this many plays at reporting stations, and that's what builds the chart. So any station that's big enough has a, a reporting tag. And you're on a reporting station, and there's this song, the number one song, that has no record label beside it. Because every song, every band has a label written right beside it. Like if they're on Mercury or Hollywood. But Three Doors Down had nothing. Had nothing. And so... The label, did multiple labels approach you guys? Uh, they did. Universal and Atlantic, it was the main two that we talked to, and a couple of a uh, couple of others. And um, and uh, Monty Lippman came down, who's now the president of, of Universal. That was when uh, he and his brother Avery Lippman uh, at first started, or not just started, but recently started Republic, which was a rock ver- uh, label on inside of Universal. 
and he came down and talked to us and uh and we just liked what Monty had to say and he was honest with us and and uh what does he say to you you know I, what stands out about the meeting above what made us ultimately go with them above anybody else he said look he said a lot of people come down here and lie to you and tell you this and that and tell you what you want to hear he said it's like this you sell me records where it's all good you stop selling records i stop answering the phone i said good enough and when you get signed is it like a recoup whenever they give you money for a record do they give you any sort of money up front like you here have money to go buy some clothes they did they okay. gave us uh they gave us um a signing bonus when we first signed, and it wound up that we all got $15,000 a piece to sign. And all four members, it was four of us at the time, and we all went and spent it all on jet skis. <laughs> that, and $15,000, again, we're the same age and basically from the same part of the world because I'm from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You give me $15,000 as a 19 or 20-year-old? Yeah. I mean, one, that's more money than I'd ever seen at, at once, Absolutely. ever. And then two, I'm probably going to make some dumb decisions too. And so you guys all go buy jet skis. And it was gold. And where do you, do you ride them in, in the Gulf? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. We lived right on the Gulf and right kind of, we grew up on a river, but just right up the river from the Gulf. That's funny. You know what I didn't know was that you wrote Kryptonite in high school? I did. Which is, which is not, this is to me, the song that you guys would be known most for. Is it, is it to you? Um, it's what got us started. Definitely. Okay. I guess maybe here without you is. Kind of the song that kept it going, but uh, Kryptonite is definitely what got us going. I'll play a little Kryptonite. Man, this was the jam. I remember when it came out, I was like, I don't even know who these guys are, but I love them. So tell me about this. You write it in high school. How old are you? Like junior, senior in high school? I was a senior. And so you sit down and go, are you watching Superman or? You know, it was, it was, I guess it was just me asking a question of, of like, unconditional friendship it's like if i'm doing good will you be there for me and if i'm down will you be there for me and you know honest to god i didn't think a whole lot about it you know it sounded good and the words rhymed it it meant a lot more to me later and it still means things to me uh, right now because later on in my life i started realizing that question was kind of a pretty good question. If I go crazy, will you still call me Superman? Or if I'm alive and will you, will you be there holding my hand? And the reason it became more meaningful to me later was the fact that so many times it's like people are willingly there for you when you're down. But those same people that's like, oh, yeah, man, you're going to do great. You're going to do great. Well, if you start doing great, those same people will kind of turn on you sometimes, you know? And so that question kind of became a valuable question to me and, and, and pretty meaningful for me. It's almost like a marriage vow, you know, for uh, richer or poorer, you know, to death do us part. It's almost what that is. Yeah. Like, if I'm good, are we good? If I'm bad, are we good? Exactly. Like, are you going you gonna to be there the whole time? Exactly. And that was the one that the local station played. Mm-hmm. Now, was that you guys' first single, like, right out of the box? It was. So it was the one that, that worked for you guys, and then you ran with it nationally. We did. And did you feel good about it early? Like, were stations receptive to it? They were, and they were, and it started doing good, and then it kind of it kind of leveled off for a second. And they're like, Ugh, and then it really it kind of like hit another gear, and it took off. Could you feel that? Yeah, when it was early. Yeah, and so you start to get calls from like TV shows. Are you doing like the the, the late night shows or MTV stuff like that? We did. We never did a whole lot on MTV, but we done all the late night shows. So back, did you ever do Letterman? Oh, we did. How was that? It was cool. Yeah, it, it was literally cool because, because the theater it, was so cold. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but we played. I think I think we held the record uh, on Jay Leno's show for the most times on. I think we played Jay Leno's show seven times. Really? 
He's, is he nice super nice? Guy. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, the, the whole thing with Jay was he would come by and be super nice. Hey, hey, he's jipping. <laughs> he was really, really cool. So, yeah, so that comes out, and you got to be feeling pretty good, but do you start to feel like, man, I wonder if we're a one-and-done band? Oh, man, because that can be the kiss of death. Like, one huge song, can that can do you in. Just Would you rather have had one huge song, let's say like a Chumbawamba or a Lou Bega, and went away, or had no major song at all but a few that were okay? I think I'd rather have a few that was okay. Yeah, why is that? Because I think it would create more longevity in your career and and allow you to go play more shows. Because, you know, know, a lot of bands kind of look at it as, like, we tour to promote a record, but we put out a record so we could go tour. You know, and we always, we just always like to go play live. And you also, I guess, would become kind of a character of yourself if you have one song. Like, you're always that image of that one song because there's not another one or two to balance it out so much. Exactly. And I say that because I was watching this story about Bobby McFerrin who has, don't worry, be happy. He won't play that song anymore because he's like, that was like a goofy song that I never expected to be a hit. And that actually doesn't represent me at all. And so he doesn't play that at all. Really? Yeah. He doesn't play it at all. Dang. Like what, do you get tired of playing the big hits? I don't, I don't because uh, and it, we're we're doing a, a lot of acoustic shows right now, and I like doing the acoustics because it gives me a chance to talk to the crowd. And, and one of the things I was telling the crowd the other night, because I just talk what's ever on my mind, you know. And and uh, I was just telling them, I was like, you know, it never it never gets old. And and I because I love hearing them sing it back. And it's weird because for the last fifteen years we wore in ear monitors. Well, I had a weird situation like two weekends ago. My monitor guy. We were in and out of town, you know, and he left our in-ears at home. And thank God we had some wedges. And uh, so that was my first time to sing with wedges in like 15 years. Wow. And so, by the way, wedges, for people that don't know, the inner ears are uh, little, the tiny things that you see the artist wear in their ears. And so basically it's a mix inside the ears and it seals off all the outside sound. And what the monitors are, are, or the wedges are the, the, on stage, the little box speakers that it, everybody can kind of hear them, but they're pointed at you. Mm-hmm. And so it was the first time in 15 years you'd use those. Yeah. And uh, for one of our shows, and it allowed me to hear the crowd. And I was like, man, I've been missing this. Because, you know, sometimes with the in-ears, you only hear what you want to hear. Yeah. But it can really kind of, it can definitely separate you from everybody out there. I have, I usually have some ambient mics in there a little bit. But, um, and coincidentally, the first, the first of those two shows was, it's pretty small. And uh, I could... I could hear people like talking while I was singing. I was like, Shut up. Well, okay, so <laughs> I just saw, by the way, you mentioned uh, the acoustic before I get to this next point. Uh, back porch jams out. Here's Kryptonite, the acoustic version that Three Doors Down just put out. Did you guys re-record these? Is that, did, you, did you go in or did you peel stuff back or how'd you do that? Uh, we just, uh, we have a studio that we own just up in Hendersonville and it's just a small little nothing studio. We just went in there and, and uh, ran through them I, and just played them, I think just maybe once or twice. Is that right? Because we tried to keep it kind of live. We didn't want it to be like too like right, you know? That's my whole life. I don't want it to be too right. right. It just won't feel normal <laughs> if it's too right. You know, you mentioned people talking. I did a whole thing on the air a couple days ago where I was talking about acoustic shows or even when I do stand-up. Like, there's a difference because when someone's talking and I'm doing stand-up, it kills all of, like, my rhythm. I'm talking, and if you yell, hey, you're all, even if you yell, hey, you're awesome, it it stops, it, it kills everything. And I'm like, there's a difference in screaming that out when I'm doing stand-up or someone's doing an acoustic show versus when there's fire 
and there's big electric guitars That's and those you can scream it all you want like tell tell the artist you love them but if he's depending on the attention of the room he's got to have the attention of the room absolutely and so you're playing these acoustic shows and you started to notice that was a thing huh mm. <laughs> you do it is irritating because for me brad i don't know about you but i feel bad not for me i'll be fine like I go, I do the best I can and I feel good about it. That's right. But it's the people that are sitting out there that paid for the ticket that have to hear some idiot yelling. I know. And I feel bad for them. I do too. And I get mad for them. And sometimes, like I've popped off a crowd at people in the crowds and I'm like, dude, they didn't pay to hear you tell jokes. That's right. They paid to come and experience whatever I'm bringing. That's right. And I wonder, do you feel that way? I do, I do. And you know, and and uh, at one of the shows, that sh- that first show, so there was somebody over over out in, in one side of the crowd that was just kept on screaming. And I remember I could hear them while I was singing, and I mean they weren't like screaming obscenities or something hateful or anything. But after a couple of songs, security came and got them and take them, took them out. And I don't like to see anybody get taken out of a show. I was kind of glad. Yeah, and you know what? And they paid for it too, but they can't ruin it for everybody else. That's right. That's what. That's all it's about to me Absolutely. is that you're ruining it for everybody else that got a sitter, that took a night and dedicated to come watch freaking Three Doors Down play, and there's some guy who won't stop screaming exactly. as you guys are playing Here Without You acoustic, which is cool, which is also on the record. Here's some of that. I don't know. It sounds pretty perfect to me. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> This is out now, the back porch jam, the acoustic versions. So this song, what single was this? Um, this was off. This was the second single off the second record. So, okay, so it was a bit between Kryptonite and here with that. So what was the second single? A uh, loser. Was oh, second. that was a jam. The way loser starts with that guitar at the beginning of it. Oh man, that was a jam. That uh, that song, uh, I didn't realize it until. Speaking of like, you don't realize what's going on around you. Now I might be uh, kind of wrong, but in some way that song was number one at rock radio for six months. Is that right? So in one form or the other, for six months it was number one. Yeah. Because I'm a loser. I was a desert jam, man. <laughs> I used to love that song. Oh. I mean, this right here in the bass line, boom, boom, boom. It, that, I loved it, man. I'm, I geek out over this music. When you played with us, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And I get to play with some awesome people. And I was like, I appreciate that. Dude, it was so much fun because together you came and you sang Kryptonite and Here Without You. I think those are the two songs that we did. And I just sang background vocals. That was the coolest thing ever. It was so it was I, so much fun. I really enjoyed I sincerely, I really enjoyed that. I couldn't believe you said yes. Because I <laughs> oh, shoot. I told him, I said, is there any way we can get, you know, three doors down and get Brad? Because I know he lives here. And I didn't know we had the same management. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, you have the same man. And I was like, sure. So we'll reach out. We know him. And so they said, yeah, he's going to do it. I was like, are you kidding me? Heck this is the craziest thing. Anytime. Man, that was awesome. Here's out here without you. All right, now let's do, let's do a loser a little bit. Here's loser. You guys pretty, uh, partying pretty hard at this point? We were. Yeah? Uh, we were. But I actually, you know what? I wrote that song uh, when I was a teenager also. Um, I wrote it maybe before Crip. Well, no, it was a little bit after. See, Kryptonite was also like the fifth song I ever wrote. When I start, when we wrote that first record, I'd never even written songs. I didn't, I didn't really. I started out writing poems, and I guess the reason I wrote so many of them in high school was because uh, I think I had like algebra, which is the class that I used to set in Rhodium. I had it right after lunch, and I think that was fourth period. Third period was creative writing, and I used to love creative writing. I was terrible in math, so I'd take creative writing, and then I'd go to lunch. 
And I'd go sit in math class and just like, right, I fed my brain, you know, and, and I'd go in there and I wrote about half that record in there. But I wrote Loser right around that same time. But I actually wrote it about one of my friends. And um, I wasn't actually calling him a loser, but he and I grew up together and I'd known him since we were little bitty kids. And uh, he started getting into like drugs pretty bad and stuff. And I wasn't writing it, calling him a loser. I watched his attitude change to where I could tell that like he thought he was a loser. And I was, I was almost writing it from his perspective, looking at himself, you know, you know what I mean? And, um, and thankfully dude straightened up and he's a good dude. And, and I hadn't talked to him in a long time, but, um, that it was written really about one of my friends. You wrote those songs in high school, huh? Mm-hmm. And here they are lasting 15, 20 years later. That's crazy. By the grace of God. So were you in high school? Were you the cool music kid? Were you the dorky music kid? I kind of hung out with everybody. Yeah. I, um, and, and it was really, like I was saying uh, earlier, it, it worked hard advantage to be from like that little town. And I, I mean, I kind of knew everybody. I wasn't like the kid that got picked on, but I wasn't the kid that got invited to every party either, you know? And, um, cause we, we, we practice all the time. We would just, we played all the time and we should have been better, <laughs> but, uh, but we knew we got to where we knew everybody. Cause there was one little bar in our town and we played there every weekend. And I was only like 16 and I had to get, I literally had to get a note from a parent saying it was okay for me to be in there. A, and, note, uh, a note. That's funny. Uh, yeah. A note to break the law. Yeah, that's funny. Exactly. Isn't that funny? He read a note to, break, to go into a bar. Yeah. So you're playing in the bars. And and we just, we'd always have like three or 400 people in there. It was never like, but that was all there was to go do. And we charged like three or three or $4 to come in and we just got to keep the, keep the cover charge. So they made the alcohol money mm-hmm. and you guys got the cover. We did. Well, I bet you guys were doing all right then. Cause Again, how we grew up, you and I both. Heck yeah, that's a, that's that's a lot of money. I worked at McDonald's, and I could make more playing in a bar both nights of the weekend than I could make at McDonald's all week. Did you continue to work at McDonald's for a little bit? When did you go? All right, I'm just going to dedicate myself to music. Um, I mainly quit there because I wanted to go to a party, and my manager wouldn't let me off work. I was like, "See ya, I make more money playing in bars anyway." <laughs> that's funny. Uh, three doors down, uh, the acoustic versions. Uh, from their acoustic back porch jam. Check that out. I'm going to do a break here real quick. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things and financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. 
Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right. So Loser comes out. What's next? What, what comes after Loser? Uh, Duck and Run was the third single off that record. And um, that was a fun zone. And you wrote this one by yourself, right? Is that uh, true? We did. Um, um, well, this one, I wrote all the lyrics. Yeah. Um. The, uh, the only thing I hadn't I didn't write all the lyrics on was like two songs on some of our later records. I co-wrote those with a couple of guys. Um, but this one, we had the music for a little while for it, and I just never could. Sometimes we could have music, and a couple of the songs I would write lyrics like completely independent of the music, and I just had like this notebook of lyrics, and we'd come up with songs and songs and songs and. Every now and then I'd be listening to one and I'd be reading through there and it's like, hang on, those lyrics work with that music. And I think that can run was at least part of it kind of wound up like that. Man, this was a rock song right here. I, and I won't duck it. Man, I'll sing them all back to you if you want. Let me hear a little bit of this. I mean, it's heavy. Yeah. yeah was it heavy? I mean, I hear it now. It's, it's heavy. Was it, again, at the time, was it considered heavy? Mm, sort of. That was the first song we used kind of like that song was the first song I ever heard auto-tune on. And we used it sort of as an effect. There's a couple of spots you can hear my voice kind of like... And uh, I remember one of the guys from Sum 41 like messing with me one day at a show. He's like, so, tune all your vocals? I was like, dude, it's an effect. He's like, sounds like tuning to me. I was like, okay, whatever it is. <laughs> Which of those guys did you become friends with during that time? Like all those bands that are, you know... Uh, basically touring together, seeing each other on the road. Who did you guys become close with? Um, I guess some of the guys that I became close with, uh, that I'm still friends with, is uh, some of the closer ones. Would and I don't talk to them all the time, but the Theory of a Dead Man guys is that right? Cool bunch of guys. That's a, that's a rock band. Yeah, and they're a good bunch of dudes. Too. Yeah, where do they live? Now, I think they're all uh, in Canada. So they're Canadians. They are. I, like I would listen to the Edge in Dallas. That's mm-hmm. where I would hear Theory of a Dead Man. I would. This is how dorky I was, right? Because I was really into the rocks you know it went from like uh i found nine country in the 90s and then the whole grunge movement for me was big because i grew up grungy anyway yeah. and finally i just look like those people 
because I was a dirty kid anyway, but now it's cool to be a dirty kid. And I was like, finally, I, somebody that's, that looks like me. And so I listened to all that and that transitioned into kind of you guys' time, you know, the 2000s, the early 2000s. And so I would have my friend get on the edge in Dallas and take a cassette and just hit record play and tape an hour, flip it, tape an hour, then mail it to me. And I would listen to it back and I would hear you guys and some of the rock songs that wouldn't go to pop, but would just go to the edge. Theory of a Dead Man, and you go through all those all those bands like that, and that's what that reminds me of is that time period. That's we used cool, cassettes, man. man. I know. <laughs> and, and sometimes even I would record songs. I don't know if you did this back in your hotel, but I would I would go record, play, pause, and then when the song that you like starts, you take that pause off yeah. real quick, and you hope to God the stupid DJ wouldn't talk over the intro. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, you'd be like, okay, it's the top five and nine. Don't talk over the intro. <laughs> you unpause it. How many how many singles on that first record? Uh, four. So what what's the last one that comes off? Uh, be like that. Oh, if I can be like that. Was this on a movie, too, that used on the soundtrack? It was. It was on the American Pie. Uh, That's right. Soundtrack. We didn't write it for it, but it wound up being on it. And actually, we had to change the first lyrics of it because... Uh, the first lyrics he spends, nice, California. Uh, well, that song takes place in middle America, so they didn't like the mention of California. So we, we uh, changed it to spend his whole life being too young to live a life that's in his dreams. And it's still around with the next line. Instead of California, mm -hmm. being too young, is California uh, mm -hmm. being too young, the syllable, that, that the, the mm -hmm. so did you change it for just the soundtrack? Like on the, on mm -hmm. the record, it was, it was uh, California. California on the soundtrack. You have to go back in the studio and re-record that. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it sounds the same. Like hopefully mm -hmm. you don't have a cold or something. It's hard to do that, man. It's hard to go in. I mean, you can use the same microphone. You can be in the same studio, same everything. It's hard to go back. Cause I've tried, I've had to do it at little touch-ups here and there. And it's hard to do it a couple of weeks later. Cause my voice changes every day, you know, and especially when you're younger like that and not from just your voice changing, but I didn't have as much control over it then. And it's hard to go back in there and, and make it sound the same to where it just lines up with the rest of a, of a take, you know. Yeah, when you say that's the first thing I thought is, wow, you had to change it, and from that's quite the the time difference from when you record it for the first record and when this movie comes out. Like Absolutely, four singles. That's what a year, year and a half. You're about a year and a half, I think. So that first single, Kryptonite, you got a couple rock hits. That fourth one goes back to pop and does really well. Mm -hmm. I remember that, like mm -hmm. playing that one like crazy. So you start with a bang, and you end with a bang going into the second record. You got to feel pretty good about yourself. I was, I was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I remember, I literally remember being so mad one night and like at, at my A&R guy, I was like, why did we only sell 80,000 records last week? And I was like, man, that is bull crap. I mean, last like, week. Yeah. A random week. Wow. The times have changed, my friend. I was like, what? Or maybe it was like 60,000 or yeah. something. But it was like ridiculous. It was some ridiculous amount of records. And I was like, what? It's so crazy. Now. Just killing it. Now, artists would beg. I think like Florida Georgia Line saw like 50,000 last yeah. week. And it was like the biggest. I mean, listen, times have changed too. Like the way that people get music. Absolutely. But, okay, so... Second record, was that Away From The Sun? It was. Oh, I don't even have notes on that. Like, I'm just going straight from, from memory here. Away From The Sun, like the black cover, the sun kind of a, tell me if I'm wrong, like a, like maybe like the moon's covering a little bit and there's like an outside like mm -hmm. edge of the sun. Is that right? Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so good at this. I'm good at Three Doors Down <laughs> Trivia. Yeah. And so first song off the record is what? Uh, the first single off of uh, Away From The Sun was uh, When I'm Gone. Ah, oh, jam. Come on. I had to think about that. Now, what is, this is the jam. This is the jam, too. Listen to this. 
Would you get nervous that a song was coming out, or would you at this time you're like, we're we're kind of feeling it. We feel like it's gonna do good. Just put it out. I was nervous. Oh, you were that second record. I was. Why is that? Because it was the first one was so big. We had every chance in the world to fail. You know, because in it, because at the same time, you know, we were never, we were never like the cool band. You know, it's like we never got like coverage of of this band or this band because it was always, you know, things that tend to follow those the trendy bands. You know, what so many, so many of those movement movements of music just like that just spike up and you know it's like, well, is it going to work amongst all that and. And and it would, but it, I I think I got nervous every time. Was there ever resentment that you guys didn't get the coverage? And did you ever go? Is it because we're from super south? Is it because of, I mean, I resented it. And, yeah, and I I mean, and you know, because even really, you know, they wanted us to kind of separate ourselves from being so southern. And I mean, you can hear the way I talk. I I tried not to for a little while, and I just couldn't help it. You know, and and uh, and. I guess I associated with being kind of stupid or whatever. Then, especially, you know, it's like because there were no southern bands out, and hadn't been for a long time. You know, I think the last southern band was out before us was Skinnerd. That was a rock <laughs> band. You know, how does that conversation go? Where they go? And is it a conversation where they say, "Hey, like we need you to be a little more California, a little more, you know, not because again, you're, it's another southern guy right in front of you asking this question." Because when I started in radio and they were like, hey, if you're going to do pop and hip hop, you have to lose your accent a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, and that conversation was had to me. And I did a bit. And now I've kind of got back to, mm-hmm. you know, I sound a bit like I sounded growing up. But was that conversation I had with you? Like, guys, you got to chill out a little bit on the, on the Mississippi. They did. And they sent us to a voice coach for, uh, for a couple of sessions and just to help us like, like, I mean, which, you know, I knew proper grammar. I just don't like to use it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, um, and, and, but I did. I tried to lose it for a little while. And, I mean, and it's not as thick as it was. When I started, man, that was, it was, I probably could have managed to shave a little bit of that off of there. Are people surprised sometimes that I think your accent is when you do talk? They are. Because you don't really hear it in the music. But, no. again, you don't really hear the Spice Girls being British in most of the stuff they sing either. I know. Or it, it blows me away. Like, you, you've seen this actor in four or five movies, and then you see him accepting an award or yeah. something. It's like, what? The guy on Walking Dead kills me. He's off the show now, but the main guy, Rick Grimes, he would – he's on the show, he's, like, from Atlanta. And he talks, and he's like, hey, I'm Rick Grimes. And then he's on – the award show is going, hey, Mike, thanks for the award. I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, I don't even want to hear this. You're ruining everything I know about this guy. I picture him as Rick Grimes from Atlanta, not this kangaroo guy. So you, you keep making hits, but you're probably not getting the respect that you des- you feel like you deserve in the mainstream. Like, that would that would irritate me. It was a little irritating. But, um, but then, you know, I, I guess... But then you go home and forget about it, you know, because you're amongst your friends and, and they're glad that you're, I always just thought it was more important to stay me than it was to be who they wanted me to be. Because, you know, I thank God for my mom and daddy, I, you know, they were always encouraging to me and, and just let me do my thing. You know, they didn't force me to do it, but they didn't keep me from doing it. But, you know, my mom just always reminded me, like, Brad, that won't always be there, son. You know, and it's always kept that in my mind that this will, you know, who I am will always be here, but that won't always be there. So I just kind of got to where I just took it with a grain of salt, and I just am who I am, you know. And how was the relationship between the band as you guys started to skyrocket with 
the song's doing so well? Getting better or getting worse? Uh, worse. Oh, really? It did. Because, honestly, I mean, we all got out there partying, and, like, one of us was, well, all of us drank a good bit, but, like, one of us was, it wasn't that we didn't get along, our drugs didn't get along. Because one person was on this, and one person was on this, and one person was on this, and 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 by our third record, we all had our own buses. It was four, uh, five guys in the band, um, and four four band buses, and then all the crew buses. So we were rolling around with seven buses because the the four main band guys just hated each other. So how does that dynamic work when you have to work on things, and when you have to get on stage and be a collective? It, it that was, got to where it was like the only time that we seen each other was sound check and on stage. And you know, it, it, we were playing amphitheaters and stuff. You keep a pretty consistent sound, so we'd get a sound established, and we wouldn't even do sound check. We, I wouldn't see some of those, see the guys until it was you know if we played at nine, I'd see them at eight thirty when we were in the dressing room putting ears on. And it was just all right. You guys ready? And then you go out and play and rock a show, and everybody thinks that you're the best friends ever because you used to be. Yep. And you look like you. I mean. You go out and you you're, you're a rock band. Yep, you're rocking. People think you're rocking as, as brothers. When does it get better? Um, or does it? It's it sort of didn't, man. I mean, you know, I'm the. It was three of us to start, and I'm one that's here. You know, and and one frankly is in prison, and one's dead, and both is a result of drugs, man. And you know, and it, Chris, Chris was. Not one of the original guys, but he was in the band when we got signed. And I thank God for him because he got clean. You know, he was on total completely different. My thing was just always drinking, and I drank profusely. And uh, he he did a lot of different other, other things. But uh, he got clean, and my drummer, uh, Greg Upchurch, he's been my drummer for he, – he became – he used to play for Puddle of Mud. And when Daniel left and went to Nickelback, that um, was right after we had done a tour that was Nickelback, Three Doors Down, and Puddle of Mud. And Daniel went to Nickelback. Greg came with us, and, and Greg's from Oklahoma. And uh, and Greg drank like a fish, too. Um, and it got to where, you know, Chris, by not-so-gentle persuasion, went to, uh, went to rehab, and he got clean. And somehow, and it's a testament to his sobriety, stayed sober with us still partying like madmen. Really? And then uh, a few years later, Greg, by not so general persuasion, went to rehab and he got clean from just from drinking. And man, I started seeing those guys and I was still I knew that I I knew that I needed to 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 change and but you know I started seeing what those guys had. And you know, you see them over there and they're happy and I'm still here miserable. And I thank God for them, man, because seeing them like that and through their encouragement, you know, they were, they never pushed it on me. But I was like, I have to. They got to be where I could trace. I was ruining my life. There was no big tragedy or no catastrophe or anything, but I was putting my wife through hell. I was putting everybody I knew through hell and putting myself through hell. And I was seen around me, and I was like, I have to change. And I went to rehab, and it's the best thing i ever done because I wanted to get sober, but I didn't know how. And I went out there, and they taught me how – how to deal with my problems. Cause people don't have drug addictions. They have life problems and they, you know, they don't have drug problems. Rather they have life problems and they sidestep their, instead of facing their problems, they sidestep them and use drugs. And that's what I was doing. And, and, and I just had to learn how to, and I had a mis- gross misconception of what rehab was. I thought that, you know, it's like you go into a hospital and they step you down and it's like, you're going to sit here and do you sober. But 
I just went out there and they, it was like going to college to learn how to be sober. And it was awesome. It, and I, I, it was the best thing I ever done. And it ain't like you come out and your life's perfect, but it sure started to get a lot better. And, and being that I was sober and two other guys were sober in the band, the other two guys who didn't really have uh, problems anyway, they might casually drink a little bit. We all got sober and it was like being in a different band. Really? Man, I wish, that's why I say I wish it could have always been like that. Cause we go out there now and we didn't, we generally, we, uh, during our last summer tour, we were out and we, uh, we were coming somewhere and we we're going from point A to point B and we were within like five miles of Arches National Park. So we got off the bus and everybody went and walked around the park together. I was like, I cannot believe it. I've been in this band for 20 years. And this is the first, one of the first times I can, I could look around and I was standing in a national park with all five band members standing there. Yeah. And I was like, man, I, I and wish you took that in. I wish it could have always been like that. You know, what's funny is you talk about these guys not being put in um, with gentle persuasion. Like my, I, so I'll give you a quick backstory before I tell you the question I have. My mom died in her forties from drinking and drugs because, and I put her in rehab a couple of times and she never wanted to be in rehab. So rehab never worked for her. If that makes sense. Like Absolutely. when you say they didn't want to go, I go, man, cause you have to embrace that. You really do. They, to hear that they didn't want to go and it still worked for them. is pretty amazing. It really is. It's, it really is. It was a miracle. It was a miracle because Chris will tell you, I mean, it, it's not, it's not a secret. And, and we, we're not, and you know, we're not ashamed of, of where we've been or, and how we got to where we are. And he'll tell you that he was bad and I was bad just on a different, on a different kick, you know? And, and when he, when he had to go, it was, he had to go. I mean, he had to go. And, and, and I think when he got there, he like realized it's like, okay, it's, I think he realized it's like, okay, it's this or death. Mm, It was that, that close, huh? It was was that much of a problem. It was. Do you do the thing because, so I've never had a drink of alcohol because I, like I see, my mom died from it. My, I don't know my real dad because he's an alcoholic. My, I have a lot of family problems with it. So I was early on, I was like, I'm not going to have this happen to me. Mm-hmm. But what happens is people will treat me different, even though I'm, let everybody drink around me. Like, I'm good. Yeah. But I have to face, I was out a couple nights ago and I was meeting up with a friend, new friend, and I have to get there early and order something that looks like a drink or people treat me completely. They'll go, mm, you know what? If you're not drinking, I, and I'm like, no, no, just be yourself. I wonder, do you have those problems where people go, oh, he's sober now. We have to act different. Yes. And do you want them to act different? No. Do you need them to act different? No. Do you, I, and do you feel like sometimes you have to kind of go, guys, it's good. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I do all the time. I just read a thing on, it was a post on Instagram not long ago. It's, it, it said, is I follow a, a few recovery pages and stuff on there, and it was one of them that said, it said, uh, alcohol is the only drug you have to justify not doing. Oh, yeah, true. You're right, because it's, it's such a social such a social drug. Yeah. You know? that Yeah, that's wild. You're like, why don't you, why don't you drink? And it's like, because I do, I'm allergic to it. That's what I just tell them. I'm, I'm allergic to alcohol, you know? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And listen, that's a great story. I didn't even, wasn't going to spear off into that, but I'm comfortable talking about my story and it's great to hear yeah. somebody else that, that is the same. Um, well, let's talk about here without you. Cause this is the second where this is where we are in the life. I'm freaking three doors down <laughs> yeah. and this one, this is it, huh? This is the train. This is the train that really like cements you guys as we are for real here. It is. Did you know this was the song? Did you feel it? Um, you know, it's, it kind of weird. I had to fight for this song to be on the record and not against the record company or anybody. 
But against my guitar player, not Chris, Matt, my first guitar player, the one that passed away, he fought me tooth and nail about putting this song on the record. He did not want it. He's like, man, I don't want this song. This Why? Because he thought it was... He thought it was sissy. Like a ballad? Because yeah. it's like a it's a love song? Mm-hmm. No love songs for Three Doors Down. No ballads. He did not want it there. Turn this up. Come on. Listen to this. Did you know immediately when it was released that it was well-received? Uh, that the, the record company had a lot of, I think, had more faith in it than we did. Because I was a little leery of it, too. Because of people saying, you're close circle going, I don't know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think what's a what's a good gauge for me? What it, this wound up being our biggest song, and and I say that in a modern sense, I guess because I use YouTube as a gauge, um, because you know, being we're Universal artists, they have uh, what is it, Vivo? Uh, uh, what Vivo? Uh, Vivo. I'm sorry. Um, they have Vivo. So they took all the Universal catalog off of YouTube and they put it all back on at once. So even though Kryptonite came out a few years before Here Without You, or a couple of years before Here Without You, they both got a, a reboot and start over on the same day. And I think Kryptonite has like 200-something million views on there. Here Without You has 489 million views. I was like, where was it? A half a billion views on that song. I was like, what? That's crazy. And it's still going. I mean, you can look on there now, and I'll bet there's a comment from like three hours ago. That's crazy. I, and that digital, and that, you know, and that's how you get paid now. Those yeah. digital plays, there's that's money. That's crazy. It really is. Um, and I mean, I'm just incredibly thankful for it, man. I, I, I can't. I, I'm. I think I'm just thankful for it. I'm gonna tell you. Whenever, um, like away from the sun, I love that one. Thank you. Like this, again. Slowish. Away from the sun. I was like, man, I can't sing any of these songs. In the shower, I'm pretty good, Brad. I can sing some of these really good in the shower, but you have to hear me there. That's probably not a place for us to go. But like, this was a jam too. Like, this I, is my song. Yeah. If there's ever been a song, and I still feel it sometimes. I mean, but I, I tell, I you know, when I'm telling the story at the acoustic shows, you know, if there's one song that I had to choose to represent me, this is this is. It. Why is that? I don't know. I just feel it, you know, and I think we can all. I think we all just feel like we're we're like we're climbing a hill. You know, it's the only video that I ever really had anything to do with, like uh, conceptually, and um, and it's just a kid who's actually my nephew plays the the character in this video, and he'd never been in a in a video or anything, and we were talking about it, and they were like, "All right, we'll find a kid." And I was like, "Got it, got him." And he lives in, in uh, Mississippi, lived in Mississippi at the time, and so he got to him, and my sister got to fly out to L.A. and and he had to be in a video and stuff, but he done a great job. If you watch the video, it's like, dang, and good. But, you know, it's a kid who's just bound with all these leather straps, and he's bound to these big stones. He's dragging up this hill. And he'll get to go in, and it shows different, like, images of mirages or things that he sees of, like, you know, people talking about him and being bullied, and those are the things that knocks him back down. And it shows his, his father slapping back down and and uh and and it shows like an angel at one point kind of guiding him come on this way and and i think we can all relate to that that we're all in some way climbing that hill mm, the jam love that song thank you man that's one i still listen to thank you you know i don't i don't curse in my personal life i definitely don't curse on stage like i have my my shows be completely clean um 
And I know that's the same thing with you guys now. Mm-hmm. Do you do if the bands that are opening for you have songs with curse words? Do you have that talk with them? Like, hey, we don't do that uh, or we not? Sh- we shy away from a band, and if they get out there, you know, it's one thing. If it's a festival, you can't really say. And and I don't speak perfectly in, in my private life, but I do not cuss on stage. And and that also goes back to <laughs> my mama told me I better not get out there. She said, to Brad, and my mama's <laughs> Southern Baptist to the bone. She said, to Brad. You got there cuss on that stage. I'm gonna be ashamed of you. <laughs> so I never did. And 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 but you know it, it's worked out. And people value that very very much because I can't tell you. You know, especially having songs about Superman and this and that. We have a lot of kids at our shows, and we still have a lot of kids at our shows. It's like just the next generation of them, which is freaking cool. It's the kids of the kids. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And um and. But I, I've, over the years, had so many parents come up to me and say, thank you for putting on the show that I can bring my kids to. And, and you know, we really have tried over the years to kind of, to, I mean, you know, hey, man, come on. You know, you can't, I don't, we hate to, like, try to control an opening band, but it, they got out there and were vulgar or something, we'd definitely say something to them about it. Yeah, I will have that talk with my openers. Like, I'll bring music, because I'll, when, when I tour, I'll go and I'll do an hour set of stand-up, but... I kind of treat it like a variety show. I have someone come and open musically for me. Mm-hmm. And I'll have the talk. Like, hey, people, it's not a kid's show, but there may be some kids in the crowd. Mm-hmm. But people feel like this is a safe space. Like, don't get out there and be political. Don't get out there and be dropping F-bombs and S-bombs. Like, just know that people feel like this is a safe spot for them to come and breathe. Yes. And smile and take in a show. That's and right. there can be some kids. And if it's PG-13, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's SpongeBob-esque where you make a joke that only adults will get mm-hmm. and kids really won't. Yeah, that's okay too. Yes. But that's a, that, you know, I do that. And I, I, people appreciate that because they don't have to come in and worry and sit and go, all right, is this going to be a place where one of the ways I'm going to feel uncomfortable? I don't want that. And that's, that's awesome that you do that too, man. Cause there's not a whole lot of that in the world right now. And it's cool. I mean, it's better. It's better like that to, and, and also that's quality. You know, you don't need that. You don't. I'm, when you, I don't feel like you, I need. It. I like. Yeah, that's I feel what I'm like, saying. Yeah. Because you put on a quality show and you're an entertaining guy. You don't need that. Well, kind I appreciate of stuff. that. I don't know about that exactly. <laughs> no, but I appreciate man. that. I appreciate. What do you think about? I was uh, listening to some of these bands talk about like Imagine Dragons. Mm-hmm. And they're really big, but when you get so big, you start to get a lot of hate. And they're get, Imagine Dragons are getting a lot of hate from a lot of these quote unquote finger quote legit rock artists. Mm-hmm. Like Nickelback gets hate for their music. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you feel about like Imagine Dragons getting all this hate right now? I, d- I didn't know that they were. But yeah. I, so, Who are the bands, Mike, that are like out ripping Imagine Dragons? Slipknot's pretty big on ripping them. Slipknot, they're like, you're not real rock. Nah. What even is real when it comes to art? I mean, are those guys real monsters? Right. That's true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's true. <laughs> they're the ones that put on masks yeah. on stage. You're right about that. Um, when you did you guys ever start feeling that hate because you got so big? We did. Um, from from it was it was like those little movement bands, and it was from bands like Sum Forty One, and then those I hate to like I don't, not, don't mean to pick on as them. they say, spill the tea. Who is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just all those like you know those those movement bands, the punk bands that come through, and then this little movement comes, you know, and we were we were never like the the cool guys. Um. But at the same time, it's like we'd done a lot of the stuff that we'd done sort of under the radar, you know, because we were never, like, big enough that, that we got a lot of hate, mm. you know? I would say that you guys are one of the most underrated bands in my lifetime because of the amount of hits you have, and people unfairly don't put you in that conversation of the sounds that changed other and influenced other sounds. 
Because again, we, we didn't even play all your hits. I just, we, I have like nine, 10 humongous songs here. We're talking about humongous songs that crossed genres. And, you know, I feel like you guys are super underrated. Would you think that Three Doors Down is an underrated band? Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to be humble and say yes, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what you say. Um, we never got a lot of attention, but, but it's okay. I, I'm cool with that. Mm, I wouldn't would be. Not me. I'm too competitive. Because I always felt sorry. I, you know, like, just, just say, like, it's easy to, easy to say, like, Britney Spears. I always felt sorry for her, man, of living under that microscope. It would drive me crazy, too. I know she had, like, her little episode and stuff, but I I mean, when there's constantly, I can't imagine walking out of every restaurant or every establishment, everywhere that I went, somebody standing there with a camera or something, or always wanting, just living under that microscope. I never, I always used to say, man, I love being a radio band because everybody knows their songs, but they don't know what I look like. And so I can sell a bunch of records, but I can still go to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Walmart because I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in Boston. I was like, growing up, we used to hang out at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Like, you go to Walmart, you you know, you're in the parking lot, mm-hmm. or you're in Walmart, or Sonic. That's like, right. in the South, that's where you hang out. Heck yeah. And he was like, Walmart? I was like, yeah. And, like, we used to go and hang out at the Jezebel Walmart. Like, all right, Friday night, we'll go and, quote, cruise. You know, you drive around this little square, uh-huh. and then we'll just end up at the Walmart. And, you know, it's funny that you would say that, because that's, that's totally a Southern thing, too. Absolutely. Like, to hang out at Walmart. That's funny, man. <laughs> so... But did they ever do the thing with you guys where they go, hey, you should, like, date another celebrity? Because if you do that, it can raise the image of the band. Did they ever do that with you guys? With they you? never did. No? They never did. I would have. I'd been like, Brad, there's Christina Aguilera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to set you up right now. Did you ever think about moving to Los Angeles? Did you move to Los Angeles? Um, I l- no, only, only while we were making a record. I lived there for, like, a, like a month. Did they ever so. say you need to move, you need to get where the action is and live there to be a part of it? Not so much. I'm, I think they kind of wanted us to move to New York for mm. like a little bit. And I was like, uh-uh. And what was up with that move? What, why do they think that was a good idea? Just to be in, being just like amongst the label and just being amongst the business and, and everything. Um, but I just, I couldn't do it, man. I am, I am a country mouse. I can't do it. What's home life for you like now? Uh, we live on a farm out in uh, Murfreesboro. My wife Beryl races horses, and we have six horses at our house. We got a, a fifty-acre uh, farm, which I never thought I'd have much that much land. And it's kind of out in the country, but it's at the same time I got a grocery store like six miles from the house, and and it's not fancy, but it's it's my heaven. And I'll get there, and if we have stuff to eat, man, I'll go home, and the gate closes behind me, and I won't leave for three or four days. Yeah, fifty acres. We do. I assume you have help. Uh. Uh-uh. Well, yeah, uh, my, my friend comes and uh, feeds horses when we're out of town or something if I'm gone, and I have some guys that cut uh, part of the yard, but just because I don't have enough time to cut it all, they probably cut, like, because I don't have to mow it all, because some of it's back in the woods, and some of it, like, the horse pastures we only cut a couple times, uh, maybe once a month, just to kind of knock them, knock the tops off, Um because they won't eat it once it gets a certain height. They have their, we got finicky horses, they're spoiled, but they're our kids. Um, but, but she knows I'm right. Um, so, uh, they cut probably 10 acres and I cut the pastures and we do it all ourselves. I, I, when, when I leave here, I'm going home to clean horse stalls and you're smiling as you say it. So like, it's like, you love it. I like, they're my babies though. Yeah. Cause we don't have kids. Our horses are our kids. And, and I, now I say, I'll smile about it here. I'll groan about it when I'm standing here doing it. But uh, you know, there are a lot of times when I'm busy and just kind of going and going and going, that I'm like, man, I would love to be standing on the, uh, in my barn right now. 
And it's just, I mean, it's peaceful, you know? And you get to do both. You get to be alone on your property, and then you get to go and play shows and still have that lifestyle, too, and sing your songs. It's, it's a blessing. And how often are you guys on the road right now? Uh, we go um, right now, like every other weekend, and I have shows this weekend and next weekend. And we have a little more coming up later on in the summer. And then next year will be the 20th anniversary of The Better Life, and we're going to do like a, a full world, uh, world tour on that one. Is that right? So that'll be fun. And But I, I look forward to it, but, man... I'm not 21 years old anymore. <laughs> you ever think about Because, you know, the big thing with, and not for me, but the big thing with a lot of people, they go in country music. They're like, well, that ain't country. Like, you're as country as it gets. You ever think about doing a country song, country record? I've been writing some lately, and I yeah. wrote about half of a, a country record one time. But honestly, I, I took it, and, and uh, I was talking to some record guys about it, and they like, it won't sell. I said, why? They said, because it's. Because it's like, that's really country. It's you know, too country. I was like, well, I can't help it. What'd you listen to growing up? Um, I, I was, I, I'm the youngest of seven kids. So I grew up listening to whatever my, my brothers and sisters listened to. But when I was a kid, I, my favorite band growing up was Bon Jovi. And I grew up on 80s rock. And I loved it and loved it. And and honestly, when, when Nirvana and stuff came out, I kind of fell off of it. I, I wasn't ready for it. I was too young for it, I think, or something. And I, I listened to probably more country growing up than I, like my all time favorite song is the dance from Garth. Oh Davis. yeah, I love it. You ever song. meet Garth? I never have. He's the best. You love him. His Trish Yearwood was up here really? two days ago. Yeah, and I got a chance. I, I got to know Garth a little bit. Garth played. You know the show you played with us this year? Mm-hmm. I think he played it with us the year before. Dang, I know it was awesome. I, I love Garth Brooks. I would love to meet him. He's and he's a he's a guy too that you know I've I've learned a bit from when like with people like Garth Brooks walks into a room. And every single person, doesn't matter who you are, gets the same attention. And Garth looks you in the eye, and he spends time. And when Garth leaves, you go, that was amazing. Heck yeah. And I think Taylor Swift learned from Garth. And I'm just trying to, like, get his crumbles. and like, oh, I just want to learn. You know, did anyone take, kind of take you under the wing a bit? Or at least go, Brad, this is what's going to happen. Like other artists who would be like, this is what you got to do. Or was that kind of not cool then? I never knew a whole lot of them. I, I never knew, like, a ton of, uh, of artists. Um... But I guess the people that you meet along the way do do kind of let you let you uh, let you have some info and but you know we had the opportunity of, of there early in our career to to work with Alex Lifeson. He produced a couple of B sides for us and a guitar player for Rush and and he we had some pretty interesting conversations with him and he's a great great guy and um, you know I think what meant more to me than anything was I was very fortunate to meet, like you say that, that Garth comes into a room and he's like, everybody gets attention and he's a, he's like a real person. And I was very fortunate to be around some just for moments here and there, like really famous people like that and see that and just get a chance to see that. Wow. It's just, he's just a dude. Just a dude. Yeah. Just a freaking dude. Fans make us who we are. Man, I'm just a – before my – my when I got signed, I drove a forklift. And before that, I drove a bush hog tractor. I mowed tank fields. And I am so thankful I get to play in a rock band for a living. Just humans. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy that it's other people that make other people. Like Garth is just a good dude who has a skill – Somebody else may have a skill of like a brain surgeon, you know, at, at learning how, how math works. They don't get that because people don't make them that. Imagine a math if in America, if people that did good math 
we're celebrities. Our country would be way ahead of China. They're kicking our butts right now. Exactly. exactly. That's what we need. We need like we need, we need to start a movement to make mathematicians cool. To yeah. Get us out. Get us up and out of there. <laughs> Wait. So you you drove a forklift? Where'd you do that? Uh, down in Pascagoula, Mississippi, at an electric motor shop. I, I've cleaned like electric motor. We rebuilt electric motors and things like that. And and uh, so I clean parts and and uh, bead blast them and stuff like that. But mainly, probably drove the forklift more than anything. Could you hop back on one right now and? Felt like a bike? Heck yeah. You could? I, um, I have two jackets at home that I stay on all the time. Let me ask you a simple one. Uh, where did the name come from, Three Doors Down? Um, It came off of uh, an old boarded up building, honest, actually. Um, we um, we used to go down to Gulf Shores a lot, which is uh, like the beach down in Alabama, but pretty close to where we grew up. And driving down there, you went through uh, a little town that was just full of fruit stands. And... There would be several of those little fruit stands in one building. And we had a gig, like our first show that night, coming back, and we didn't have a name. And we had, like, a notebook full of names. And one of those buildings had closed up and moved just a couple of parcels down. And there was, like, tack-on wooden letters that said, you know, business moved, like, so many doors down. And some had fallen off or whatever. And, and there was three of us at the time. And, and Todd said, well, what about three doors down? And we're like, all right. And it just kind of stuck. So, like, the first real name you came up with, you kept? Mm-hmm. Well, that's odd. Most bands are like, well, our first name was uh, the the Wiener Jumpers. <laughs> and we didn't like that, so then we decided to go with the Toenail Kids, and we didn't like that. And next thing you know, here we are, you too. And we're like, well, that was weird. How'd all, but that's the first name you guys had, huh? First name. And it's the only band I've ever been in. I've never been in another band. And you wrote those songs in high school. And look at you. You look happy. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm blessed, because I am, I am not that talented. <laughs> I feel so inferior at the same age and you like had a rock star oh, life. Oh man. Look at you. Well, I'm a fan. I'm a genuine fan. I appreciate it, man. man that's I'm re- a fan of you too. Ah, don't be that. <laughs> All right. Episode 165. This has been fun for me. I hope this is fun. We did an hour. We're an hour into this thing. <laughs> Dang. Look at us. So we're just talking away. Oh, we weren't even recording. Now we'll start now. This is, <laughs> yeah, just, me. This is just me talking, like asking questions. Um, this is episode 165. If people want to see, because you're out now doing shows, um, you have all the dates up on your website? Uh, we do. Okay, so threedoorsdown.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, so head over to threedoorsdown.com. You're out doing, are you doing the acoustic shows now? Uh, we are, we might have a couple acoustic shows left. Uh, we're about to get in back into the electric shows. Mm, how do you feel about that? I'm ready. Yeah? I like, I like playing the acoustic shows a lot because it gives you an opportunity to stand up there and like perform the songs and... Um, and like tell the stories about them and stuff, you know, but at the same time, it's like standing there in your underwear because there's nothing to hide behind. There's no, like, you know, you kind of flub it a little bit if you, if your throat's hurting or something and you know, it's real loud in a rock show. It's like, ah, it'd be fine. And acoustic shows, man, you're, you're there. Um, so I'm ready to get back out there and, and, uh, play some rock shows. I'm ready to run around a little bit. Got the, the, the whole, um, the tour, what, 20, 20, 20 years, 25 years, what you said? 20 years. 20 years. So does that mean you're going to put out any new music? Are you guys thinking about? We're going to, well, we're going to re-release The Better Life, and I think maybe uh, remaster it, and we're going to package it along with that first CD, because our first CD that got assigned had about half the songs that was wound up on The Better Life, but a different recording of them, and then some other songs that, that had just never been released. Um, so we're going to package it with that uh, our first local CD because we only ever made 2,000 of them. Um, and just put that out, just kind of put it out there. And we do need to, we do need to write some more songs and, and put out another record. But at the same time, somebody asked me the other day, I was at, a, at, a, at an event here, and, and this guy's like, well, you guys, you guys retired? 
And I was like, no, man, we still play a lot. He said, uh, he said, well, are y'all going to put out some new records? And I said it jokingly, and it is it's a good problem to have. I was like, we're not really worried about it. He's like, well, why not? I said, because we already can't play all our songs <laughs> at our shows right now. What a problem, right? It's a good problem to have. Look at this. There he is. Brad Arnold of Three Doors Down. Go watch him live. Uh, episode 165. Uh, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, too. All right, that's it. Thank you very much. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.